Good morning, Northridge Church. Welcome home. Welcome to the family. I get to see it, say those words every week to our online community. A shout out to Noah and Paige, uh, who made my online folks feel welcome while I was away. I love you folks. I'll be back next week. If you're here in Rochester, Webster, you're on a phone, you're on a laptop, you're on a Super Bowl-sized smart TV, you're watching on CW, there's so many ways to connect, so many ways to be part of this family. Just so glad that everyone is here. Well, listen, I love superhero movies. I love the Marvel movies. I have watched all 23 of the Marvel superhero movies in the Infinity Stone saga, all 23, twice. I love superhero movies, but my favorite superhero movie isn't even a Marvel movie. It's Christopher Nolan's 2005 Batman Begins. I love that movie. It is the origin story of Batman. I wanted to wear a Batman t-shirt this morning, but something else caught my eye. So I love superhero stories. I love origin stories. And I think we love origin stories because we want to know what makes someone tick, what motivates them, what made them who they are. And if you're a Christ follower, today you get to hear your origin story. And every story has a conflict, right? I mean, every hero faces resistance. There always comes that time where there's that question, will the bad guys win? And Paul knows that bad stuff is coming. He just says, remember your origin story. Remember who you are. Well, we're continuing our journey through the book of Colossians this morning in chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. So whether you're following along in a printed copy of God's Word, or you got an app on your phone, or you don't, don't worry, we got you. We got words up here on the screen. But I will meet you at Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 in just a minute. And we call it a book, but Colossians is really a letter. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. And even while bad things are coming Paul's way, in fact, very soon he will give his life for the gospel. Even so, he's more concerned with the bad things that are coming our way, bad things that are coming to those Christ followers in Colossae. And over the last three Sundays, Paul has been painting this picture of Christ. It's amazing. It's incredible. Frankly, I just wish that Paul would end the letter here, sign love, Paul, amen. We got seven more weeks scheduled, but let's go to the beach. Let's bask in the goodness of what we already heard. And I do hope you bask in the goodness, but Paul's got more to say. And it's a little jarring because Paul suddenly says, watch out. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they aren't after you, okay? <laughs> And here, Joseph Heller and the Apostle Paul, they kind of agree. Something is out to get us. They really are out to get you. Because whenever we're exposed to the gospel, the enemy saddles up. So let's look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. So who wants to capture us? So, I mean, you've seen this, right? You start moving your life in a positive direction and bam, there's opposition. Because real change, it's hard, and it's, but it's worth fighting for. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive 
philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So what do you need to watch out for? We need to watch out for hollow and deceptive philosophies. You see, someone's always trying to show you a new way to look at the world, right? They just say, look through this lens, everything makes sense. But Paul says all these alternative narratives to the gospel, they're all bad ideas, bad ideas. I mean, there's always going to be an alternative way of looking at the world. There's always going to be some other yardstick you can grab to measure your worth, measure your purpose. But Paul says those are bad ideas. And Paul's worried about some specific bad ideas, some bad philosophies that were threatening the church at that time. And those ideas, they're undermining the gospel. So what are those ideas? Well, if you want to know more, (laughs) Drew and I will talk about that on the A Little Better podcast uh, this week. But honestly, Paul really doesn't spend a lot of time telling us what these errors are, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on there either. You see, I don't care if you studied this in school or not, but every one of us is a philosophy major because we're all trying to solve the big questions of life, right? Where did I come from? Who am I? Why am I here? How should I live? Where am I going? And honestly, I don't think you can get yourself out of bed in the morning without answering those questions. Now, you might have the wrong answers, but you gotta have answers. And the gospel answers all of those questions. And I believe every alternative falls short. You see, every alternative to the gospel is a hollow and deceptive philosophy. It's hollow because it just can't bear the weight of those big questions. It can't give you endurance for the long haul. It can't give your struggle, your suffering, meaning and purpose. And it's deceptive because it's carrying you away from where you should be. You will you, I'm sorry, you will lose years of your life moving farther and farther away from where you need to be hollow and deceptive philosophy. And the bad ideas, they're always changing, but every time and place seems to have its greatest hits. And today and now, I believe one of the worst bad, deceptive and hollow philosophies is the philosophy that you need to define yourself entirely. That your highest value is to find and fight for your truest self. And the greatest injustice you could ever suffer is if someone challenges you or questions that. It's up to you to find your passion, your purpose, your bliss, your cause to find that yardstick that you're going to measure the success of your life by. And I would just suggest that do you really want to figure all that out on your own? Do you really trust yourself to come up with the right answer? And I think that that search can be exhausting. But Paul says there's so many bad ideas out there. And Paul says these bad ideas, they rest on human traditions. Have you ever heard yourself say, but we've always done it that way. I mean, we all come from, you know, a a family of origin, a community, a lifestyle, and you know, we, we grow up in it, we swim in it, we live in it. So we never see it. We don't even 
know how we acquired these patterns, these habits. We don't even know if they're a good idea. And Paul says these habits can pull us away from Christ, these bad habits. And finally, Paul says these bad ideas, they rest on elemental spiritual forces. What is that? Well, Scripture says we only see a small slice of reality. In fact, Paul says in another letter to the Ephesians that we struggle against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, and we can get caught in the crossfire. But another way to translate this phrase is the basic principles of this world. You see, this world is kind of wired to run in ways that are in opposition to the kingdom of God. I mean, we get along, to, we go along to get along, to get ahead. We, the strong rule of the weak. We have to maybe put people down in order to get up. There's only so much out there, so we better get ours. And all these spiritual forces, these worldly principles, they swirl around us as bad influences. So they really are out to get us. Bad ideas, bad habits, bad influences. So how can we fight back? What help does Paul offer? Well, let me tell you what help Paul does not offer. He does not offer a series of lectures on the origins and logical fallacies of Gnosticism. Nasta what? Okay, I mean, if you're curious, listen to the podcast. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But Paul doesn't want to get lost in the weeds of the latest lie. He wants to focus on what never changes, our truth, our foundation, our identity, our gospel. Paul says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Now, that's exactly what Nate shared in week one. Christ is the fullness of God. He is the full expression of God. He is God. And therefore, we need to be full of him. And Christ triumphs and trumps everything, everything out there in the world, everything in our lives. I mean, that's review, but now it gets weird. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision, not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. All right, four times Paul makes reference to circumcision. I mean, what is up with circumcision? I mean, do we all know what circumcision is? I mean, it's, let's just say it's, uh, it's surgery. Okay, I mean, <clears throat> but... Uh, Paul says, our circumcision, it's not performed with human hands. Whew. Okay, so we're not talking about the physical act. But long ago, in the Old Testament, before Christ, I mean, the physical act was important for the people of Israel. It was a marker. It was a sign that they belonged to his chosen people. And God made his promise that through that people, he was going to bless the world. And he did through Christ. So, 
now that we have what circumcision pointed to, we don't need that symbol anymore. In fact, Paul says, Christ circumcises us. Our circumcision, it's something spiritual. It's something invisible. It's something that Christ does when we come to him. And even Moses, way back when, he knew the real problem that only Christ could solve was our hearts. Moses said in Deuteronomy, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. So the real problem, the real problem is with our hearts, and God wants to fix them. And I know what my heart does naturally. I know I need fixing. I know there's like arguments. I want to win at all costs, no matter the damage to a relationship. And I know that people wrong me and I want them to suffer 10 times as much as I have. And I know there's times where I get caught or cornered or exposed. I know if I just, if I just tell the tiniest or the whitest of lies, I can squeak out from under that. Or there's just something I just, I just want it so bad and I don't care who I step on to get it. You see, there's a selfishness that threatens all of us. G.K. Chesterton, a Christian writer and thinker in England 100 years ago, well, he was asked by a British newspaper to write an editorial, and they wanted him to answer this question. What is wrong with the world? And the story goes that G.K. Chesterton answered with two words. I am. I have to agree with Chesterton. What? is wrong with the world. I am. On our own, none of us could make it into heaven because if we got there, we'd break it. There is something deep in our hearts that's wrong. We have a spiritual cancer, but thank God he cut out your cancer. He cut out my cancer. My wife, Karen, is a nurse, and for over 15 years, she has been treating cancer patients, and Karen and I are both cancer survivors. Uh, my prostate cancer diagnosis was over 15 years ago. Uh, Karen's breast cancer diagnosis was over five years ago. And both of us, we went under the knife to get that cancer cut out. Both of us chose our surgeons carefully. I passed up a surgeon who everyone said was the bee's knees as far as prostatectomies go. But I didn't want him because I couldn't get him to slow down and listen to me. And Karen, she knew the surgeons on her floor. She knew which ones had what outcomes. And she chose her surgeons based on what she saw, what the results were, and how deeply those surgeons cared for their patients. You see, circumcision is a delicate operation. It's open-heart surgery. And you want a surgeon who knows what he's doing and who loves you and cares for you. Christ is that surgeon. You can trust him to cut out the bad without killing you and heal your heart and give you a heart that will beat with genuine, selfless love for others. Paul says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He cut out our cancer. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Ezekiel 36, 26. 
I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You see, I long for the day when it is impossible for me to have a wrong desire where I know that whatever I want makes God happy. Christ has circumcised us. Well, that's great news going forward for my future, but doesn't my past still condemn me? Well, let's imagine that I'm, I'm home alone late at night and I hear this knock on the door. I see the flashing lights and I open the door and there's the police officer and says, are you Bradley Files? And I say, that's me. I said, well, we just need you to come downtown. I need to ask you some questions. And my heart goes into my throat. I mean, I'm terrified, but of course I go and end up in that room. You know, it's got the big mirror and the table and the chairs. And my interrogator comes into the room and he's bringing a book. I mean, I expected him to bring a folder, but he brings a, a book. And the book is The Life and Deeds of Bradley Files. And he opens that book and he starts reading that book and it's not good. I mean, that book has everything I've ever done in there. It has every crime I've ever committed. Every, actually, it has every sin. And sin's not a word we use a lot. Maybe we have a hard time defining it, but I mean, sin is a breaking of law, but it's not breaking man's laws. Those change all the time. And sometimes we talk about natural law. We talk about like going against the grain of the universe, but these are crimes against the creator of the universe. These are crimes against God himself. And even atheists know there's some things that are just wrong at all times, all places. To see young children uh, physically abused or exploited, that's never right. Lying, stealing, murder. There's just things we know they're wrong. And sin is not just the bad things we do. It's the good things we don't do. And it's the bad thoughts we have. And it's the wrong things we desire. I mean, I know you don't think that church leaders have a past. But we do. And I can remember 32 years ago, I was at a college friend's wedding in California. Karen and I had flown out there, and I was talking to another college friend of mine, George, and I told George, George, I'm, I'm going to seminary. And George looked at me like, was I joking? Am I serious? Yeah, I'm serious. He said, Brad, I know who you are. I know what you've done. And I wish I could tell you that all my sins were 32 years old, but I continue you know, I hurt people, I disappoint people, I use people. And these sins are not just against people, these are sins against God. And sometimes I wonder if old friends find me on the internet preaching and want to call the church and say, why do you got that guy on your staff? But all of us know our record, but praise God, he canceled your debt. He can't do that. When we're honest, we stop making excuses. When we start, stop explaining how these circumstances, that person kind of forced me to, we just stop. We know who we are. And Paul says, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. 
He cut out your cancer, therefore your future is bright, but he canceled your debt, so he's taking care of your past as well as your future. And finally, Paul says, he conquered your demons. Colossians, continuing in Colossians, verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I mean, we started out surrounded by these bad ideas, these bad habits, these bad influences. They're all gunning for us. But here at the end of the text, they're on the run because no alternative to Christ can stand. And I don't know what philosophies, ideas, what identities you've put your hope in. Christ is better. And I don't know what habits, what addictions, what patterns you just can't get rid of. Christ has broken them. And I don't know what spiritual forces are arrayed against you. I don't know what toxic, dysfunctional family or crowd or workplace you come from, but Christ can free you. And you may be tempted to give up, but Paul is so certain about your future that he puts it in the past tense. As far as God is concerned, it already happened. It happened at the cross, and Christ was victorious, and we are free. So what about you? What is your origin story? If this is your origin story, well, then watch out, because bad bad ideas, bad habits, bad influences. They'll always want to drag us away from Christ. Remember who you are. Remember the gospel. But if this is not your origin story, it can be. And I want to explain it this way. In another letter, Paul writes of the best deal we could possibly imagine. In 2 Corinthians, he says, God made him who had no sin, speaking of Jesus, had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, God, he's willing to make a trade. If you will give him your sins, if you will give up trying to save yourselves, give him your sins. He will give us his righteousness. And I've actually got two books up here. You've already met the first one, The Life and Deeds of Bradley Files. And you know, I don't want you to read it, but there in that police station, that interrogator, he just keeps reading, and every sin of my past, it's in there. And then this is what gets crazy. He keeps reading, and every sin in my future is in there. I mean, can God take care of that? Well, at the cross, all my sins were future. And then I see sins I totally forgot about. Can you take care of those? Yeah. And then I see sins I'm not nearly sorry enough for. Can God take care of those? Well, let me, let me ask you this. You ever had someone wrong you or hurt you? And then they come to you and say, dude, man, I'm sorry. Uh, will you forgive me? And you know, they've got no idea what they've done, how deep the wound is. Can you forgive them? Well, God forgave us 
for sins. We will never come close to appreciating how much we've grieved him, how much we've broken his heart. And still Jesus hangs on a cross and says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Even those sins we're not nearly sorry enough for. They're all in there. And then Terry Gator, he gets to the end of the book and he says, well, is it true? I say, yeah, it's all true. Well, we need you to sign it. So I take out my pen and sign it. What can I do? And there's my signed confession for everything I've ever done or will do. And here's the deal that God gives. There's another book. The Life and Deeds of Jesus Christ. And Christ was willing to empty himself. And he was willing to take my story, my sin, my shame, and he took it. And Paul says that written code, that legal indebtedness, that indictment, that signed confession, my conviction, he nailed it to the cross. Christ hangs on that cross, but he's carrying my sin. And God's wrath pours down on him, not for anything he did, but for everything I've done or will do. And I gave him my sin, but what did he give me? Well, he gave me his report card. Gave me his righteousness. I get to put it in my book. Now when God sees me, he sees his son. And God doesn't ignore my sin. He took it far more seriously than I ever did. My sin cost his son his life. And giving that life, I get to be his son. And you get to be his daughter or his son. And I would just say, if you're not in God's family, you're still struggling with the claims of Christ or you've just banked on some alternative, I just have uh, one question for you. What do you do with the guilt? See, apart from Christ, I I really don't think there's there's two ways you can try to respond to that. Either you're going to say, you know, I'm not guilty. Or you're going to say, I can handle it. I got this. I can make up for it. I can pay for it. Those are hollow and deceptive answers. You lean on those, they will not hold you up. And whatever standard you're following, it can only condemn you. It can't forgive you. It can't satisfy. But Christ can. He can satisfy. He can forgive. He can love. Stop following hollow and deceitful philosophies. And if you're sitting in that police station this morning and you're looking at your book on that table and you know what it says, I beg of you, take the deal. 
you'll never have a better offer. And I'd like you uh, to pray with me. And I hope that everyone in this room is in one of two camps. Either you've already accepted this offer, like me, and we are expressing our thanks for so great a salvation. Or you've never accepted that deal, but you can accept it now. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We are blown away by so great a salvation that you would give your own son for us. Lord, we thank you that the salvation you offer is as simple as A, B, C. Lord, we admit that we're sinners. We admit that we contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin for which we, from which we must be saved. We've signed the confession. We're guilty and we're helpless. And B, we believe that you carried our sins to the cross, that you paid the full penalty of them, that we are clean. And C, Lord, we commit our lives to you. You are our everything. Lord, we pray that we would be able to live the remainder of our lives as an expression of gratitude for all that you have done, that we might please you and enjoy you for the rest of our lives as we bend our knee to you, our Lord and Savior. We pray in that precious name of Jesus. Amen.